Chapter sixty seven of the Vicar of Bullhampton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Vicar of Bullhampton by Anthony Trollope. Chapter sixty seven. Sir Gregory Marrable has a headache. Mary Lowther, in her letter to her aunt, had in one line told the story of her rupture with Mr. Gilmore. This letter had formed a postscript, and the writer had hesitated much before she added it. She had not intended to write to her aunt on this subject, but she had remembered at the last moment how much easier it would be to tell the remainder of her story on her arrival at Loring if so much had already been told beforehand. Therefore it was that she had added these words, "'Everything has been broken off between me and Mr. Gilmore for ever.' This was a terrible blow upon poor Miss Marrable, who up to the moment of her receiving that letter thought that her niece was disposed of in the manner that had seemed most desirable to all her friends. Aunt Sarah loved her niece dearly, and by no means looked forward to improved happiness in her own old age, when she should be left alone in the house at Uphill. But she entertained the view about young women, which is usual with old women who have young women under their charge, and she thought it much the best that this special young woman should get herself married." The old women are right in their views on this matter, and the young women, who on this point are not often refractory, are right also. Miss Marrable, who entertained a very strong opinion on the subject above mentioned, was very unhappy when she was thus abruptly told by her own peculiar young woman that this second engagement had been broken off and sent to the winds. It had become a theory on the part of Mary's friends that the Gilmore match was the proper thing for her. At last, after many difficulties, the Gilmore match had been arranged— the anxiety as to Mary's future life was at an end, and the theory of the elders, concerned with her welfare, was to be carried out. Then there came a short note proclaiming her return home, and simply telling as a fact almost indifferent, in a single line, that all the trouble hitherto taken as to her own disposition had entirely been thrown away. Everything has been broken off between me and Mr. Gilmore. It was a cruel and a heart-rending postscript." Poor Miss Marrable knew very well that she was armed with no parental authority. She could hold her theory and could advise, but she could do no more. She could not even scold. And there had been some qualm of conscience on her part as to Walter Marrable, now that Walter Marrable had been taken in hand and made much of by the baronet, and now also that poor Gregory had been removed from the path. No doubt she, Aunt Sarah, had done all in her power to aid the difficulties which had separated the two cousins— and while she thought that the Gilmore match had been the consequence of such aiding on her part, she was happy enough in reflecting upon what she had done. Old Sir Gregory would not have taken Walter by the hand unless Walter had been free to marry Edith Brownlow, and though she could not quite resolve that the death of the younger Gregory had been part of the family arrangement due to the happy policy of the elder Marables generally, still she was quite sure that Walter's present position at Dunripple had come entirely from the favour with which he had regarded the baronet's wishes as to Edith. Mary was provided for with the squire, who was in immediate possession, and Walter, with his bride, would become, as it were, the eldest son of Dunripple. It was all as comfortable as could be, till there came this unfortunate postscript. The letter reached her on Friday, and on Saturday Mary arrived. Miss Marrable determined that she would not complain. As regarded her own comfort, it was doubtless all for the best. But old women are never selfish in regard to the marriage of young women." That the young women belonging to them should be settled, and thus got rid of, is no doubt the great desire. But whether the old woman be herself married or a spinster, the desire is founded on an adamantine confidence that marriage is the most proper and happiest thing for the young woman. 
the belief is so thorough that the woman would cease to be a woman would already have become a brute who would desire to keep any girl belonging to her out of matrimony for the sake of companionship to herself but no woman does so desire it in regard to those who are dear and near to her a dependent distant in blood or a paid assistant may find here and there a want of the true feminine sympathy but in regard to a daughter or one held as a daughter it is never wanting as the pelican loveth her young do i love thee and therefore will i give thee away in marriage to some one strong enough to hold thee even though my heart-strings be torn asunder by the parting such is always the heart's declaration of the mother respecting her daughter the matchmaking of mothers is the natural result of the mother's love for the ambition of one woman for another is never other than this that the one loved by her shall be given to a man to be loved more worthily poor aunt sarah considering of these things during those two lonely days came to the conclusion that if ever mary were to be so loved again that she might be given away a long time might first elapse and then she was aware that such gifts given late lose much of their value and have to be given cheaply mary herself as she was driven slowly up the hill to her aunt's door did not share her aunt's melancholy to be returned as a bad shilling which has been presented over the counter and found to be bad must be very disagreeable to a young woman's feelings that was not the case with mary lowther she had no doubt a great sorrow at heart she had created a shipwreck which she did regret most bitterly but the sorrow and the regret were not humiliating as they would have been had they been caused by failure on her own part and then she had behind her the strong comfort of her own rock of which nothing should now rob her which should be a rock for rest and safety and not a rock for shipwreck and as to the disposition of which aunt sarah's present ideas were so very erroneous it was impossible that the first evening should pass without a word or two about poor gilmore mary knew well enough that she had told her aunt nothing of her renewed engagement with her cousin but she could not bring herself at once to utter a song of triumph as she would have done had she blurted out all her story not a word was said about either lover till they were seated together in the evening what you tell me about mr gilmore has made me so unhappy said miss marrable sadly it could not be helped aunt sarah i tried my best but it could not be helped of course i have been very very unhappy myself i don't pretend to understand it and yet it is so easily understood said mary pleading hard for herself i did not love him and-but you had accepted him mary i know i had it is so natural that you should think that i have behaved badly i have not said so my dear i know that aunt sarah but if you think so and of course you do write and ask janet fenwick she will tell you everything you know how devoted she is to mr gilmore she would have done anything for him but even she will tell you that at last i could not help it when i was so very wretched i thought that i would do my best to comply with other people's wishes i got a feeling that nothing signified for myself if they had told me to go into a convent or to be a nurse in a hospital i would have gone i had nothing to care for and if i could do what i was told perhaps it might be best but why did you not go on with it my dear it was impossible after walter had written to me but walter is to marry edith brownlow no dear aunt no walter is to marry me don't look like that aunt sarah it is true it is indeed she had now dragged her chair close to her aunt's seat upon the sofa so that she could put her hands upon her aunt's knees all that about miss brownlow has been a fable parson john told me that it was fixed it is not fixed the other thing is fixed parson john tells many fables he is to come here who is to come here walter of course he is to be here 
i don't know how soon but i shall hear from him dear aunt you must be good to him indeed you must he is your cousin just as much as mine i am not in love with him mary but i am aunt sarah oh dear how much i am in love with him it never changed in the least though i struggled and struggled not to think of him i broke his picture and burned it and i would not have a scrap of his handwriting i would not have near me anything that he had ever spoken of but it was no good i could not get away from him for an hour now i shall never want to get away from him again as for mr gilmore it would have come to the same thing at last had i never heard another word from walter marrable i could not have done it i suppose we must submit to it said aunt sarah after a pause this certainly was not the most exhilarating view which might have been taken of the matter as far as mary was concerned but as it did not suggest any open opposition to her scheme and as there was no refusal to see walter when he should again appear at uphill as her lover she made no complaint miss marrable went on to inquire how sir gregory would like these plans which were so diametrically opposed to his own as to that mary could say nothing no doubt walter would make a clean breast of it to sir gregory before he left dunripple and would be able to tell them what had passed when he came to loring mary however did not forget to argue that the ground on which walter marrable stood was his own ground after the death of two men the youngest of whom was over seventy the property would be his property and could not be taken from him if sir gregory chose to quarrel with him as to the probability of which mary and her aunt professed very different opinions they must wait waiting now would be very different from what it had been when their prospects in life had not seemed to depend in any agree upon the succession to the family property and i know myself better now than i did then said mary though it were to be for all my life i would wait on the monday she got a letter from her cousin it was very short and there was not a word in it about sir gregory or edith brownlow it only said that he was the happiest man in the world and that he would be at loring on the following saturday he must return at once to birmingham but would certainly be at loring on saturday he had written to his uncle to ask for hospitality he did not suppose that parson john would refuse but should this be the case he would put up at the dragon mary might be quite sure that she would see him on saturday and on the saturday he came the parson had consented to receive him but not thinking highly of the wisdom of the proposed visit had worded his letter rather coldly but of that walter in his present circumstance thought but little he was hardly within the house before he had told his story you haven't heard i suppose that mary and i have made it up how made it up well i mean that you shall make us man and wife some day but i thought you were to marry edith brownlow who told you that sir i am sure edith did not nor yet her mother but i believe these sort of things are often settled without consulting the principals and what does my brother say sir gregory you mean of course i mean sir gregory i don't suppose you'd ask your father i never had the slightest intention sir of asking either one or the other i don't suppose that i am to ask his leave to be married like a young girl and it isn't likely that any objection on family grounds could be made to such a woman as mary lowther you needn't ask leave of any one most noble hector that is a matter of course you can marry the cookmaid to-morrow if you please but i thought you meant to live at dunripple so i shall part of the year if sir gregory likes it and that you were to have an allowance and all that sort of thing now if you do marry the cookmaid i am not going to marry the cookmaid as you know very well or if you marry any one else in opposition to my brother's wishes i don't suppose it likely that he'll bestow that which he intended to give as a reward to you for following his wishes he can do as he pleases the moment that it was settled i told him and what did he say he complained of headache 
sir gregory very often does complain of headache when i took leave of him he said i should hear from him then it's all up with dunripple for you as long as he lives i've no doubt that since poor gregory's death your father's interest in the property has been disposed of among the jews to the last farthing i shouldn't wonder and you are just where you were my boy that depends entirely upon sir gregory you may be sure of this sir that i shall ask him for nothing if the worst comes to the worst i can go to the jews as well as my father i won't unless i am driven he was with mary of course that evening walking again along the banks of the lurwell as they had first done now nearly twelve months since then the autumn had begun and now the last of the summer months was near its close how very much had happened to her or had seemed to happen during the interval at that time she had thrice declined harry gilmore's suit but she had done so without any weight on her own conscience her friends had wished her to marry the man and therefore she had been troubled but the trouble had lain light upon her and as she looked back at it all she felt that at that time there had been something of triumph in her heart a girl when she is courted knows at any rate that she is thought worthy of courtship and in this instance she had been at least courted worthily since then a whole world of trouble had come upon her from that source she had been driven hither and thither first by love then by a false idea of duty till she had come almost to shipwreck and in her tossing she had gone against another bark which for aught she knew might even yet go down from the effects of the collision she could not be all happy even though she were again leaning on walter marrable's arm or again sitting with it round her waist beneath the shade of the trees on the banks of the lurwell then we must wait and this time we must be patient she said when he told her of poor sir gregory's headache i cannot ask him for anything said walter of course not do not ask anybody for anything but just wait i have quite made up my mind that forty-five for the gentleman and thirty-five for the lady is quite time enough for marrying the grapes are sour said walter they are not sour at all sir said mary i was speaking of my own grapes as i look at them when i use that argument for my own comfort the worst of it is that when we know that the grapes are not sour that they are the sweetest grapes in the world the argument is of no use i won't tell any lies about it to myself or anybody else i want my grapes at once and so do i said mary eagerly of course i do i am not going to make any pretence with you of course i want them at once but i have learned to know that they are precious enough to be worth the waiting for i made a fool of myself once but i shall not do it again let sir gregory make himself ever so disagreeable this was all very pleasant for captain marrable ah yes what other moment in a man's life is at all equal to that in which he is being flattered to the top of his bent by the love of the woman he loves to be flattered by the love of a woman whom he does not love is almost equally unpleasant if the man be anything of a man but at the present moment our captain was supremely happy his thais was telling him that he was indeed her king and should he not take the goods with which the gods provided him to have been robbed of his all by a father and to have an uncle who would have a headache instead of making settlements these indeed were drawbacks but the pleasure was so sweet that even such drawbacks as these could hardly sully his bliss if you knew what your letter was to me she said as she leaned against his shoulder his father and his uncle and all the marables on the earth might do their worst they could not rob the present hour of its joy End of chapter sixty seven